0: Thank you for that uh, introduction, ironic that you talk about being busy, because that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, Let's pray as we think about healthy habits and what God might have for us tonight. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, it is our hope that in the stillness of this room, you might meet us. that the clatter and the pace of life outside of this room might be stilled, quiet for a moment so that we can hear your voice clearly and be among the people who obey you. So come, speak to us today. We look forward to what you're gonna say to us in your good name, amen. Well, it was a day very different than today. The sun was out, the temperatures were warm, high fluffy clouds spotted the sky, and my wife and I had what we thought was a genius idea. We needed to go to the local Walmart and buy what every kid wants, a slip and slide. How many of you know what a slip and slide is? How many of you have gone down a slip and slide? You've gone down, okay. So you know what we're talking about. So I thought that in order to augment the experience for my children, that the best way to do this was to set the slip and slide on the hill in our backyard going downhill, right? Because there's something about velocity that every guy loves, right? and so I set up the slip and slide, I got the water going, and there it was, man. Our kids were cruising down the slip and slide, and then they started to taunt me. These kids of mine, I'm standing on the deck, they're running right past me, right down the slide. And then they were like, Dad, you gotta try this. Dad, you need to do this. Dad, it would be great if you would come and join us. And I kept refusing, but eventually my resistance wore down, I said to my wife, hey, if you could go open the gate to the fence, and because we had a fenced-in backyard, I said, if you could open the gate to the fence, that would, I will go and change, and I will come back, and I will enjoy this moment with my children, right? You know what I'm talking, I mean, this is the kind of day you wish for as a parent, right? our beautiful weeping willow tree and the clouds and the sun and I'm gonna be a part of it with my kids. So I go change and I come around the outside of the front of the house where my kids can't see me. Now I've got my glasses on because if if I don't have my glasses on, I'm not hitting the slip and slide, okay? So I've got my glasses on and I come screaming, literally, screaming around the front of the house, the gates open and I can see my target, right? And I'm moving down and I hit the slip and slide like a MLB player into third base, man. I am cruising because I wanna get as fast as I can. I'm gonna show my children how to really do a slip and slide, okay? Now, as I'm torpedoing down the slip and slide, I had this vague memory of pulling the slip and slide out of its box where it said weight limit 125. I know with the lighting and everything in here, you probably can't tell from where you're seated, but I do weigh more than 125. And I came down that slip and slide, and do you see in that image, there's this like little blue inflatable at the end of the slip and slide that's intended to stop you well, there was no way that thing was gonna stop me. I went up over this inflatable, and as I go over the inflatable in my effort to halt this uh, escapade, I grab the blue inflatable, <laughs> rip that sucker right off. But in the process of ripping off the blue inflatable now, my hands are behind me. So now I am torpedoing head first down the hill. Remember the hill? Down the hill, as I'm going down. And now the the weeping willow tree that I referenced had roots that was that were breaking through the ground, and they, they decided to try to stop me. And so they were just scratching across my chest, you know, and so I had lines going down my chest, and I'm still cruising down. Did I mention the fence? Was that a part of my earlier? So I decided, wisdom now that the best way to stop, in fact, the only way to stop, was to just go ahead and plant my face squarely into that chain link fence, which I did, successfully, and I did stop. I did, actually, and I hit that fence, and then I've got fence lines, of course, on my face, my glasses are crooked, and I look back at my kids, and they're like, that was awesome! Dad, can you do that again, you know? I did it a few more times, not nearly with that velocity, I promise. It was great. It was awesome. But I say all that as a metaphor for what it appears to be our reality today, that for many of us, we are on a fast slip and slide headed toward a fence. The velocity at which most of us live our lives this day seems out of control, And it's not just me making that observation. Back in September, I was at a Barnes & Noble bookstore in Columbus, Ohio. I was there for a visit with my family and wandered in there and decided I'd go up to the Christian section. It was a huge Barnes & Noble, two floors. I'm up there, here's the Christian section. And as I look at the books, I realize that the Barnes & Noble staff, they're smart. They realize what's going on in the lives of people and what will sell books. That's their job is to sell books. And so those outward-facing books where you can see the cover of the book were these. Do you see those titles? I mean, it was stark. I just stood there looking around. I'm like, oh my goodness. And I just started taking pictures of the books, right? We're all freaking out, one of the books' title is. Overcoming when you feel overwhelmed. The ruthless elimination of hurry in the book's Go on, there's some trend going on here that I realized. It's not just me feeling that life is wound up and set off on a new velocity. It seems that we're living in a day of a hyperdrive world. Am I the only one that feels overworked and tired and underappreciated and overwhelmed? It seems like that's the new epidemic of our age coming out of COVID-19. We seem addicted to the pace. And sociologists have a word for this. They call it hurry sickness. It's a term that was coined back in 1974, believe it or not, hurry sickness. And we become addicted to this chronic rush. We're in a hurry to get everywhere. And the demands of life are on us, and we have demands on life. I mean, how many of us are impatient at having to wait two entire days for Amazon Prime to deliver that package? (laughs) By the way, Amazon is delivering packages after 9 o'clock p.m. in my neighborhood to satisfy us in our chronic hurry. So when people ask us how we're doing, sometimes we just just say, we're busy. Everyone's busy. It's like a competition. Are you busy? Oh, I'm busier. In fact, studies show that as it relates to busyness, there's a correlation that we assume that people who are more busy are A, wealthier, and B, more important. Wealthy people Our busy people are wealthier and more important. Our identity has become attached to just being busy people. And the cost is high. Because it strikes me that if we're so busy and there's no margin, we don't have time to listen to one another anymore. We don't have time to love one another. And we don't have time for breathless wonder. We don't have time to stop and see the sunset or the sunrise in our lives anymore because we're in a hurry to get somewhere. We're on a slip and slide after all. We're trying to get to the end as fast as we can. Well, it wasn't supposed to always be this way. I want you to know that. In 1967, the Senate subcommittee heard testimony from experts who were studying the technology and the computers of that day, and they reported in 1967, that within 20 years, 1987, the average adult United States worker would be working on average 22 hours a week, 27 weeks of the year. Right. Did I miss that, by the way? I lived through that year. I don't remember that happening in my journey. Didn't happen. Our world is warp speed. We're on a fast course, spinning round and round. One person refers to it as pathological busyness. But, but if we would slow down just for a moment, if we would step off the slip and slide, in the quietness there emerges some eternal questions. (coughs) Questions like, Is this the life Jesus came to die for? Where's the abundant life, the full life that Jesus speaks of? And how do I get through life without all the hustle? You ever wonder those questions? If you're one of those who's hustling through life, gasping for air, you're on the slip and slide of life, I've got good news. Jesus offers you an invitation to a different life. Style of life. He offers us a gentle invitation to his way of living. If you have your Bibles, if you turn to Matthew chapter 11 or tap on your device over to Matthew chapter 11, we'll discover Jesus' words about the pace of life. These are words that may be familiar to us. I would suspect that in a room this size, there might be some here who could actually quote this passage. But I want you to know tonight that our interest isn't in quoting the passage. It's living it. Some Bible passages are hard to understand. Some are easy to understand, but hard to live. This is one of those verses. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus' invitation says, come to me. All of you who are weary of, and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Not just physical rest, internal rest, rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all you who are weary or burdened. Isn't that a a great line? Come to me, weary and burdened. Those are significant words in the time of Jesus. Weariness was actually the word that was borrowed from a word that meant to cut down. It meant to have a machete and kind of work your way through the jungles. Cut down. Fragment. Separate. Some people, that's how life feels, right? Got life over there, got life over there. Life over here, life over there. Trying to keep it all juggled. And then he uses the word burden. It's a nautical term, actually, in its origin. It, it meant for a ship to have a load so heavy that the boat would begin to sink and take on water. Mm-hmm. Does that feel like life to you? Does it feel like you're taking on water and the boat's sinking? If so, Jesus says, well, come to me. Come to me, and then he gives another verb, take my yoke upon you. We, we know what a yoke is. It's, you know, a, this attachment device that allows one strong, mature, experienced animal to be attached to an immature, inexperienced, weaker animal and often for the purpose of training. And as the animals are attached to each other, they walk together, strength of one, helping the other. In a sense, Jesus' invitation is, attach yourself to me. But it meant more than that. It was a first century idiom that really meant uh, all rabbis had a yoke. All rabbis had a yoke in that day. Jesus' yoke was to tell people, by the way, there's a different way of living. So the yoke of a rabbi was how a rabbi was to live and how he's inviting people to live, how he's inviting people to, to think about life and to develop their perspective on life and how they were to overcome the burdens of life. Every rabbi had a yoke. But what was unique to Jesus in this particular statement was when he went on to say, take my yoke upon you, And learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I said that this is one of those verses that we might know something about. We've heard it before, maybe. But it's not always lived. There's a dynamic in the passage that sometimes we, we miss. We, we think, well, I've come to Jesus. I've, I've been at the altar. I, I went forward at a camp. I, I was a part of a group that responded to Jesus. So but why is it that I don't know the dynamism of a restful soul? It's a good question. And I think the answer in part is in the passage. Learn from me. And when we read that, so often what we think is, Let's read the words that Jesus said and follow them. I agree with that. We should do that. But I think there's more to it, that part of what Jesus is instructing us to do in this passage is to follow his way of living, not just his words for living. So it's important for us to explore the way that Jesus lived. And here's what I've discovered. If you look at the way that Jesus lives, He lives differently than those around him. It's easy maybe to hear these verses and think, Jesus didn't understand the busyness of life in 2022. That's not Jesus' world. This day, it was easy to go slow. Can I remind us that before we look at the way of Jesus, can I remind us of the franticness that surrounded almost chaos that was around Jesus at every turn. This was a man who had people crying out for him to heal their bodies. He had listeners that were hungry and he had to respond to them. He had religious leaders that were demanding answers from him. Jesus had disciples that were confused and faithless sometimes. And it seemed like every time Jesus got in a boat and went to the other side of the lake, there was a crowd there to meet him, doesn't it? Jesus lived a very busy, and and a sense that, that chaos was surrounded him. But what's interesting to me is Jesus never seems busy himself. Even though there were a lot of interruptions, he never seems irritated by the interruptions. Have you noticed that? Even when Lazarus, his friend is dying and Lazarus' sisters come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, hurry up. Come and visit with Lazarus before he dies. Maybe you could save him. Even in that moment, Jesus seems stubbornly unwilling to rush. Jesus learned something. The counterbalance of life, that sense in which the public life and the private life must be in some sort of balance. That you can't always live in the chaos. Let me show you what I mean. Mark chapter one, just a few pages over from Matthew. Mark chapter one says this. Very early, verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Here's the crowds all around him, but Jesus knew he had to have a countervailing uh, perspective in life. He needed to escape the busyness and find a solitary place where he would pray. If you skip over just a few more pages to Mark chapter six, Jesus sends the disciples out in Mark chapter six Sends them out to go and preach the good news and do ministry. And when they come back to Jesus, verse 30, and following the apostles gathered around Jesus, reported to him all that they had done and all that they had taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. That feels like my days some days. Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. That sounds a lot like Matthew 11, doesn't it? Come away with me to a quiet place. By the way, the word quiet place is the same word we saw in chapter one, the solitary place. It's used 33 times in the gospels and it's interpreted in different ways, but it's the same word. In fact, it's found in the next verse as well. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But now the crowds are pressing in and Jesus feeds the 5,000. Then if you skip down to verse 44, immediately after Jesus had done that, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into a boat and go on ahead of him while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, look what he did. He went up on a mountainside to pray. Do you see the rhythms See, the way of Jesus involves an intentional rhythm of unhurrying through life. It was Jesus' counter habits to the chaos, counter habits of rest and prayer and solitude. It was solitude that gave Jesus power in his moments with the crowd. It was when Jesus was alone with his father that he had compassion with people. It was his private life that gave power to his public ministry. It was his balance. It was his sense of solitude and silence that sustained him in seasons of busyness. And this testimony is not reserved for Jesus alone. Let me show you some other places of slowing down, the call to slowing Back in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 14, you remember the story, right? Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery. They come to a river's edge, or what was known as the Red Sea, and the Egyptian army is now pressing behind them. There's threat. What are they gonna do? Exodus chapter 14, verse 14, very simply, Through through Moses, the Lord says this, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be silent, to be still. I don't know the life of a threatening army. (coughs) Excuse me. But I know the need to let the Lord fight for me and for me to be still. There's a similar story, actually, in Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30. A threatening army is approaching Judah's capital. The Assyrian king is relentless. He's unstoppable. (coughs) They need rescue. The people of God need rescue in that moment. And here's what the Lord says to Judah. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, And repentance and rest is your salvation. And quietness and trust is your strength. But you'd have none of it. I can be your strength. If you would just enter into quietness, if you would trust me, if you would rest, I'll save you, I'll deliver you. It is the persistent message of the Bible that God's people slow down in order to meet with him to know his strength in our life, but how do we do this? How do we go about it? Let me give us some practical suggestions for a sustained pace in this life. Slowing down will look different for everyone, from the stay-at-home parent to the corporate executive, it will look different, and the way that I slow down might be different than yours, so don't Just take everything I say and just plop it into your journey and your calendar. It will look different for you. Adapt it. These are ever-involving go-to disciplines in my life, but they help me guarantee a fenceless future. So if you want to get on the unhurried revolution, let me suggest some ideas. Number one, parent your phone. Yep, it starts with that that little device that is in your pocket and you take work everywhere you go because of it, right? They get a hold of you all the time. Every time it dings, you wanna look at it. How many times a day does the average adult tap on their phone? Anyone wanna guess? 2,617. Let me say that again. The average adult in the United States touches their phone 2,617 times. We have to parent our phone. Put the phone to bed when you put the kids to bed. That's a good, that's a good rule, right? Give your phone a time out. Can I just remind us, seriously, I know that you're all very important I am too. But it'd be okay if someone couldn't reach you for a little bit, really. Can I suggest as part of parenting your phone that when you do home chores, that you take the earbuds out and just be present Man, I had to rake the leaves about three weeks ago in my yard and I literally had the earbuds in. I was going down to do my chore, right? And I thought, you know what? I just wanna smell the leaves and just be present in the moment. So, Just take the earbuds out, it's okay. Listen to the birds, listen to the snowfall. I'll let you think about that one. Here's what's scary about all this, friends. In the year 2000, the average adult attention span was clocked in at a whopping 12 seconds. 12 seconds. Since the digital revolution of 2012, the average adult attention span is down to eight seconds. Eight seconds for perspective, A goldfish has an attention span of nine seconds. (laughs) Parent your phone. Number two, tame your TV. Yeah, it still needs to be said. We've been saying this. Preachers have been saying this for like 50 years, I think. But the average TV is on in the American home five hours a day. And research shows, are you ready for this? Research shows that the adult brain is more active when we sleep than when we watch TV. Which means that watching TV, you are closer to death (laughs) than when you sleep. Can I just suggest that we detox from Netflix? By the way, how many of you have heard of Netflix days? Has anyone heard that yet at work? There's such a thing now, it's going around. Netflix days. Netflix days are days when you take off work so that you can binge watch the new Netflix series. That's a real thing. That is a real thing. And the CEO of Netflix was asked about the competition of all the other apps, right? Amazon Prime and Hulu. And this is what he said. He said, those are not our primary competition. Our primary competition is sleep because people will watch us every single hour they are awake. If you wanna buy back some time, you gotta tame the TV. Number three, I don't like number three, change, change your driving habits. How many of you, when you pull up to the red light, you're counting the cars in front of you so you know which lane to get into, right? Yeah, yeah. You know who you are, you know who you are. Can I suggest that we stop at the stop signs, that we drive in the slow lane just a little longer? No texting at the red lights. No texting. Number four, taste your food. Taste your food, we eat so fast in our culture, we, we have a whole thing, a whole industry called what? Fast food. We don't really uh, slow down when we eat to have conversations. I'm suggesting that you really chew your food. (laughs) Like chew it up, taste it, know that you've tasted it before you swallow it. Number five, control your calendar. The Bible is clear, there is enough time for everything under the sun. Read Ecclesiastes chapter three. God has given us, every one of us, as much time as we need to, need to do everything he's called us to do so take control of the calendar whatever that looks like for you find a local library where you can spend some time alone in a solitary quiet place like jesus often would do number six walk slower Number six, walk slower. I told the college students, this was years ago, I said, if you ever find me walking fast in the hallway, I'll buy you a coffee. Right? So commit to trying to walk slower or just walk, right? And number seven, Sabbath. Sabbath. It literally means to stop. I don't want you to know that I am a fan of guilt free napping. Right? We need to rest our bodies. And can I re- recommend that we don't just take a one day of rest, that we we actually renew our commitment to vacations? 37% of the people in America only take seven days of vacation a year. They're leaving vacations on the table. Take those days without apology. Sabbath. Take a week-long Sabbath to stop and engage the Lord. Well, many years ago, I was on a trip with a family. It was myself, my siblings. We're gonna drive all the way down to the Outer Banks of North Carolina. It's a long trip, right? And we have four vehicles in our caravan, and off went my brothers. I mean, they were cruising because their goal was to get there as fast as you can, And many dads, we can experience that. We know what that is like, right? We stop for the the break to get the gas and we got the stopwatch on. Like, come on, let's go. We gotta make up the time when we get back on the highway, right? Well, I was committed to not going fast. So much so that when I got to the hotel for the first night, my brothers were laughing like, man, we've been here an hour, you know? So on the way back from our trip, I'm committed to driving in the slow lane, driving the speed limit, They're off and running. And we see a sign for the new River Gorge Bridge. Let's show you the image of the new River Gorge Bridge. It's amazing. It was just a few miles off of the highway. The detour didn't cost us an entire hour. But we stopped, we pulled off, we climbed the wooden steps so we could take pictures. And we got this kind of view the wonder and the vistas that are available to us if we would but stop unfortunately on the interstate nearly everything looks the same without stopping to slow down we cannot capture the all and majesty of god's creation there's no stories of new vistas the no scenic gorge to stop and have our minds Captivated by the wonder of God. So my closing challenge to you. Get off the interstate. This is the Jesus way in a hyperdrive world. Take an exit to the nearest solitary place. Find some new rhythms of prayer and rest. But if you don't. Beware offenses. You've been warned. Let's pray. God, thank you that the example of Jesus was clear to take time for the appropriate healthy habits in life. That if we are to know the full life, the rest-filled life that Jesus speaks of, we must be people who slow down, who say no to the world and its fast pace. So help us to be courageous in our journey towards rest and a sustained pace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: Thank you, Bill, so much for um, speaking that to our life. It's really important for us to learn to stop for a second and to even use the example of Jesus to learn to stop and rest and go to the Father and pray and find rest in him, go to him to find rest. Um, thank you, Bill, again. Um, I invite you guys to stay for the rest of the service. We're gonna um, celebrate some baptisms um, that we have from our service. Um, in Christ Community Church, we believe baptism not as a means to salvation, but... Uh, uh, something you show us, a, a demonstration of faith by saying to you guys, the public, declaring that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of their life. And we are super excited to um, celebrate with these these guys today. I'm, I'm gonna go and give it to you. So you got it, man. Thanks, Brandon. So thank you. It's really a privilege to be able to celebrate this together. So this is my friend, Quinn Andring. Quinn, how old are you? 11. 11. I was thinking about that question. You can only ask it of younger people in the in the baptistry. Thanks for answering that for us. Um, so, Quinn, you're here to be baptized. So, why do you want to be baptized? Um, I want to grow closer to God, and I think this is the next step. Yep, I agree with you, man. Um, I just want to tell you. So, I, I have the privilege of knowing Quinn a little bit, and I see the life of Jesus in you, and um, I have seen it as uh, you help you share your parents and your family with um, foster brothers particularly that I had a chance to know a little bit too while you guys were ministering to them. And it's been a beautiful thing. And I'm really proud of you. I'm proud of the way you let Jesus's life live for you. So Quinn, do you believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he died, was buried and rose again according to the scriptures? Yes. And have you placed your faith in Christ as your savior and acknowledged his right to be the Lord of your life? Yes then based upon your profession of faith in Jesus, it is my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Welcome, Jacob. This is my friend Jacob Brum. Jacob. Um, I'll ask you, Quincy, you're young enough, man. How old are you? 17. (laughs) And I'm really proud of you for coming to be baptized this weekend. So why do you want to be baptized? Um, I want to extend my faith with Jesus Christ, and I know this is the first step towards my relationship getting better with him. I'm really proud of you. 17 years old, the decision you're making, this commitment, this baptism commitment, this is gonna bear fruit in your life going forward. And so this is a good thing. So thanks for letting me be part of it as well. So Jacob, have you? do you believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he died, was buried, and rose again according to the scriptures? I do. And have you placed your faith in him as your savior and acknowledged his right to be Lord of your life? I have. And based on your confession of faith in Jesus, it is my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. glad you all got to be part of that with us. Can I pray for us? Will you please bow your head and close your eyes with me? Lord, thank you for this celebration of new life in Jesus. Thank you for the commitment these young men are making to you this weekend. Um, Jesus is our great privilege to be part of this. So uh, myself and for our church family with their families, thank you for your work in our lives. Um, Thank you for being the one who gives us rest. We look to you. And we pray these things in your name, amen. God bless you guys, have a great weekend, you're dismissed.